Good morning. You look at that and you just think, what are you thinking? Like, why are you even that close? We'll get to that in a minute. But first, uh, I want to do something that, uh, this is just a rare occurrence that this happens, that, that this day lands on a Sunday and I have the microphone, but I want to wish my bride, I don't even know where she is. She didn't even come. Great, great. Uh, is she outside? Okay, well, I just want to wish her happy Happy, happy birthday. Um, there's a picture of her coming up here. That is her on the left, just so you know, in case you, you weren't sure. And um, she makes every picture of us better. She is celebrating her 83rd birthday today. She is 83 years old. So make sure you tell her happy 83rd trip around the sun when you see her. Um, but she, you look at her and you think for 83, wow, that's incredible. And, and what's your secret? Here's her secret. Can we go back to Back to that picture of the tornado. Okay, so that tornado is Tornado Nathan, Laney, True, and Lincoln, okay? And Kara is the one who brings the calm into the tornado that is uh, me and our children. And so I think, I think that's the secret, along with Richard Simmons' workout videos just between you and me since she's not in here, okay? So anyhow, uh, thanks for allowing me to do that. But I want to get back to this image of the tornado, Uh, Because last week we began talking about this idea called staying power, staying power. And it's really based on this thing that Jesus said right before he went to the cross. He's sitting with his disciples the day before, and he says, I am leaving. I'm leaving this world. And he says, I'm sending a helper. And the unspoken implication of that statement is that you guys are staying. And I don't know if you and I could have been sitting there, we likely would have been thinking, okay, we struggled the last three years with you next to our side, Jesus. How, how on earth are we going to make it through the rest of our time here on earth? And oftentimes, isn't it true? That's how we view. If, if you've come to trust Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross, isn't that how we kind of view it? Like somewhere between trusting him at the cross and then, and then getting through this life, we're just kind of left to our own ability and strength. I know that's what I thought for years and years and years. But really, what we celebrate on Easter, and we talked about it at Easter, is that our, our relationship with God was reconciled and that our inheritance that he gives us, that he speaks of throughout his word, is intact. It's that we have it. We've been given staying power to be here. And as you look at the lives of those disciples after Jesus left this world, it's really, really interesting because they were incredibly transformed, but their circumstances really weren't. In fact, for for many of them, things just, if you were to look at it and if you could talk to them, it would seem that things just got worse. And yet, as you look at their lives and as you look at others' lives in scripture, especially, it's really apparent that, that that resurrection life, sure, from time to time, there's, the, there's like that mountaintop moment, and it's inspiring, and it's incredible. But oftentimes, you see it in their lives. It's power to, to really stay in and step through what we'd rather smooth out. You know, the messes and the bumps and, and everything that happens in life. And though we'd prefer maybe to overpower everything in our way, it's really a power that just keeps us steady when we could be overwhelmed. And it's the power to go through what we'd really rather get around. Now, if anybody, if anybody could give us counsel on what that looks like on a practical level, 
It's this man named Paul that we began talking about last week. And if you don't know Paul's story, Paul was actually very anti-Jesus everybody before he came to know Jesus. And he was going after Christians and he was throwing them in jail and he was having them killed until he had this experience with Jesus. And he came away from that experience with Jesus actually blinded. He ends up in, this, in, the, in the city with a man named Ananias who Jesus had spoken to about Paul. And after Ananias tried to give Jesus a little bit of advice about, do you realize who we're dealing with here, with this guy Paul, Jesus said, go. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. And then he followed with something. And I will show him how much he must suffer. Now we'll get to that in just a moment here. But suffer, Paul did. Paul absolutely suffered. And it was in the middle of this suffering. Paul, who had who had had this conversion experience, trusted in who Christ was and Christ's work on his behalf, Paul begins to live out a picture of what staying power, that helper, the Holy Spirit, what that actually looks like in our lives on a day-to-day basis. And as you walk forward, you realize he just wrote and wrote and wrote because he wrote to the churches thinking, okay, this is the only thing sustaining me and and they're going to need this. And so he wrote to the churches, and now we have it as God's word to us. But as he's, as he's writing to the churches, it's really interesting because some of those letters are, they're phenomenal. I mean, it just the, the wording, the structure, the beauty of it is beyond human. It really is. It's God through Paul. But there's one letter in particular that we, we, we mentioned last week. We're going to start going through this week. And it's his second letter to the church at Corinth, this place called Corinth. Now, the first letter addressed all kinds of issues in the church, but the second one came from a deeply personal place. And you'll see as we go through it, there are things that you can just sense the anguish in Paul. You know, if this is resurrection life, (laughs) how do I get through this? And I'd imagine that he and I and you and me, we're, we're not the only ones who think like that and wonder about that as we go through life. And so we're going to walk through Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. But as we begin this week, it's really interesting where Paul starts. You know where he starts? With a tornado. He starts addressing really, and I, and I don't mean a literal tornado, but the trials of life. Because here's, here's one thing. As we begin, and we're just in a handful of verses in chapter 1 this morning, it really speaks to three different groups of people that are in here right now. And I know nobody likes to be categorized, but honestly, what he says lands with all of us. And truth is, this morning, when it comes to the trials of life, you're in one of three places or maybe a combination of these, okay? The first is in the trial. I mean, some of you are sitting here and it's just you can't really see anything else. You know there are surroundings, but all you see is the tornado. And you're maybe just so close that you feel like you're in it. And what Paul has to say has something to say to you. And some of you are past the trial, and by past the trial, what I mean is we, um, we just want to forget about it. And so there's no looking back. I don't want to address it. I need some comfort food. I need a comfort season of life. But I'll get back to what, what God did or allowed or did to me. Maybe that's how you are perceiving it. Um, we'll get back to that at a later time. But you're past the trial. And then there's a third group in here. You may not be in it, but you're past it, but you're also next to it. And by next to it, I don't mean start pointing at somebody that you came with this morning, okay? But we all know people, and we've all got people in our lives. It's like you can feel the intensity of this tornado or this trial that has shown up in their life. 
And what Paul has to say has something to say to every single one of us. And so I want to pick up with that in mind. 2 Corinthians is chapter 1, verse 3. This is what Paul has to say. And this is for those of you that are in the trial. I want to talk to that group first. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Did you catch those last few words? All our troubles. Isn't it true that you think there are certain troubles you go through that are maybe more noble or more worthy in God's eyes than others? See, there's a kind of trouble you get into that comes from following Jesus. I mean, there's an account where the disciples, they, are, they, they get in a boat because they're following Jesus. And where does that boat end up? Right into a storm. See, that's the kind of trouble that comes from following Jesus. And many of you in here, in some form or another, you've, you've made some sort of stand. Or, or you've been convicted about something and, and you've made a life decision. Whether it's a way to live life or a big important life decision based on your relationship with Jesus. And while you'd hope that everybody it would have everybody's favor, you've maybe been met with opposition. And this is that kind of trouble. Okay, now there's another kind of trouble, and this won't be new news to anybody here. It's the kind of trouble you get into when you run from Jesus. You decide, I'm going to do things my way. Right, we've talked about Jonah a number of times. God tells Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites, and what does Jonah do? He runs. Like on a map, actually runs literally the opposite direction of Nineveh. Where does Jonah end up? In a storm. Because that's, that's probably, if I'm being honest, that's the kind of trouble I find much more frequently than the first kind. I would suspect many of us do. But there's a third kind of trouble that I know some, some in here specifically are walking through right now. And this is that kind of trouble that just, it showed up out of nowhere. And, and you can't really trace it to whether you've been faithful to Jesus or you've rebelled and gone against what Jesus had to say. But it's a trouble that just showed up out of left field, and I just, I don't get it. And as you look at it, you think, where do I go? What is the first step, and what is the right direction right now? And this is the one that we can all interpret in a way that it was not intended. A lot of times, we interpret it as the wrath of God, don't we? It's amazing how, how much of my life, after trusting in what Jesus did at the cross... I was still convinced God's wrath remained on me. Forgetting that he took all of that wrath, I'm thinking I'm still, I'm still on the outs with God. And and I've talked to more and more people that they walk through life and we think that way. It's so easy to think that way. And yet Paul, we got to come back to what he says. He's the God of compassion and all comfort. And he comforts in all our troubles. That is, whether it's trouble that came from following him, running from him, or I don't know what's going on, it's all. Two verses later, and we'll come back to what he says in between in a bit. He says this, verse 5, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. See, we have a lot of experience getting to know Jesus as we think of him as conqueror and it's, it's spectacular and it's magnificent and it is all those things. But he's also, he, he, there's also so much else to him, including merciful. He's a God who you go to the foot of the cross and he's a God of compassion and he's a God of mercy 
who comforts in all our troubles. There's a book that came out about four or five years ago. It's called Simple Rules. In Simple Rules, the idea of it is that this life is very complex. And so I don't know who the singer is, probably a theologian. He says, when the heart breaks, no, it don't break even. And that's really the idea of this book. That when life breaks, it does not break down a straight dotted line. That's just real easy to put back together. It's not like puzzle pieces. It's messy. And so the author of this book, what he's getting at is that even though life is, is just crazy complex, simplify. Have a few rules for engaging this life. And so he talks about the United States drone program and what rules come into play when they decide they're going to make a drone strike. And it's really three rules. For all the complexity of the situation in regards to human life, national security, and everything in between, it comes down to three rules that they have to, that they abide by when they decide whether or not to hit that button. It talks about fighter pilots and how when they get into the heat of battle, I mean, you've got this cockpit with all kinds of controls at it. Three rules. Three rules that it comes down to. And I think what Paul is getting at here, he's reminding us that when you get into the mess that is trial and affliction and suffering and the tornado is all around you, one rule. He is a merciful God. He is a merciful God, as evidenced by the cross. And so what Paul's getting at is just come back. If you're in the trial right now... You don't have the capacity to hold a whole lot of thoughts. It'll drive you crazy. Come back to his mercy. Come back to that image of the cross. This is why we point at the cross every single week. Because we've got to be reminded. Now, that's group number one. Now, group number two, this is for those of you that you're past the trial. It's not that there's not stuff going on in life, but as you look back and you think back, maybe you've just come through something that was just a major, major, major crisis. And if you're anything like me, it's like, okay, let's just forget about that. Let's just move on, you know, clean slate thinking. I'm just going to move on. But Paul has something to say. And Paul is actually going to reflect on his own trial that he's looking back at. This is in verse 8. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, scholars have loved trying to figure out what exactly Paul's referring to here. A lot happened in the province of Asia with Paul. I mean, there was an angry mob that wanted to kill him. There was a silversmith there that was fashioning idols. And so Paul basically went to this guy's customers and he said, listen. There's something better than the idol that you're having made for you. And you can imagine the silversmith came to find him. He was heated. In fact, he grabbed one of Paul's peers and threw him into the arena. And as Paul wanted to intervene, he had to be restrained. Could have been that. This could have been an illness that Paul refers to later in the letter. We'll get to that uh, in this series. It could just be an imprisonment because Paul was no stranger to prison. Just over and over and over. Always in jail. Just always in jail for Paul. It could have been any of these things. But what Paul's getting at here is, would you stop and remember? Would you stop and remember? We don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to remember what we went through. We were under great pressure, he goes on to say, far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired. Did you catch that? Despaired. Despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. I, I know this, this isn't real fun. This isn't a fun exercise. 
But based on what Paul's saying here, I think it's an invitation to remember what we'd rather forget. To stop and think back. Do you remember that dark night where it was just despair? Do you remember when it just felt like death all around? Do you remember that? He's saying we were there. We were absolutely there. And, and for all the times in this life that we ask why and we don't get an answer, Paul provides a why here. He actually provides an answer to the question why. Listen to what he has to say. He says, but this happened. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. Paul's saying, look, there was a time we prayed to be in the spot we're in right now. There was a time we prayed to be free of whatever we were in in that moment, from that night of despair and the darkness. We prayed for it, and you know what God did? He delivered. If you were to go back to any of those examples that I just referenced a little bit ago, it's really, really interesting because we, we look for God's power to be, you know, we've talked about the mountaintop and this incredible fireworks display. And it's like, it's just the sky opens up and there's an army that shows up on our behalf. We look for that. And yet in each of those situations, God's work was, was much more subtle than we often look for. Some of it was he turned the reasoning of the authorities against themselves to where they couldn't proceed any further. Some of it was just a slight change of situation. Some of it was just a narrow escape. Some of it was just coming through the imprisonment, surviving the illness. But Paul says, make no mistake, that is a God that delivers. And what he's really getting at is the character of God here. That for those of us, if you're past the trial right now, if it's in the rear view, whether it's just an hour or it's years ago, Don't stop looking back. Don't stop remembering that for all the despair that was there, that he is a God who delivers. And so why did this happen? So that you would depend on him even more. I I, I was reminded recently, this is going to show my maturity level right now, okay? But uh, did any of you get caught up in the game Jinx as a kid? Jinx? Oh, don't lie. You're in church. Raise your hands. Okay. So what Jinx was, and you may not know what I'm talking about, is when you're talking at the same time as somebody else is talking, and you happen to say the same word at the same time. And the person who says Jinx first, you're all looking at me like I'm an idiot. Okay. The person who says Jinx first has the power. And what that means is the person who didn't say Jinx cannot talk until their name is said. Yeah. See, now it's coming back, isn't it? All right. And I just remember, I I now realize as an adult, which I still play this game, by the way, but now as an adult, I realize that you getting out of that game or you being free is entirely dependent on the character of the person who has the power. And I realized that nobody has good character, okay? Nobody has good character playing this game. I, I think I had to sit quiet for like an hour and a half. Now I look back and I'm like, that girl had no power over you. Just talk, Nathan. But, you know, you have all these rules as a kid. And yet the same desperation I had for somebody to just say my name when we played that game, that's the desperation. That's the desperation Paul is beginning to get at. Totally different level, I know. 
But that's the desperation. And it's dependent on a God whose character is good. Who, when it's the sentence of silence or a trial or darkness or despair, you know what he does in the dark? He says your name. That's his character. He is merciful and he is a deliverer. And he can be depended on. That's group number two. Now, group number three, I would imagine on some level, is every single person in here. And this is for those of you, maybe you're in the trial, maybe you're past the trial, but you are walking beside the trial. It is there, and you can feel the intensity. And it might be a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a coach, a teacher. All you have to do is think through the different circles or spheres of life, and there's bound to be somebody. Because as we said last week, we, we walk in a world that groans. And that groaning is constant. And it, it is all around us. But Paul, is, as we walk through this passage, I believe this is really the emphasis of these verses we're looking at. Yes, you, you're in the trial. Yes, there's a time you'll be past the trial. But now he's going to talk to those of us who walk beside the trial. And here's what he has to say. I want to go back to that verse at the beginning and read it in its entirety. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, and now we're going to continue, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, this is a totally different version of Paul than when we first meet him in Scripture. As we said earlier, he's out persecuting Christians and going after them. But when Jesus said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name, and then he finishes that statement with, I will show him how much he must suffer. I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, this is payback. Like God's showing him who's really boss. And this is how I interpret it in my own life. When trouble shows up, it's easy to think, this is payback. He's upset. And to think that way is to completely overlook what took place at the cross. And this is the thing, this is where Paul pulls ahead of us. Because Paul always operates with the cross in mind. He says, look, Greeks are looking for wisdom, and Jews seek signs and power, but we preach Christ crucified. Because Paul is filtering everything, everything, everything through the cross in Jesus Christ. Everything. And so, he says... When I go through something, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to reveal Christ to those around me. Excuse me. He says, so that we can comfort those in any trouble. See, that's the other thing we do. We apply filters, not just to our own trouble, but to other people's trouble. Well, they were just, they were running from God, so I can't, I can't be part of it. Oh, they're going the other direction from God, so I can't, I can't step into it. He says, no, so that we can comfort those in any trouble, any trouble whatsoever. See, Paul, what's happening here is we're discovering that, that Jesus has been working on his heart. And the bold, powerful Paul before he knew Jesus is now a different kind of powerful. There's a different kind of power at work with Paul right now because the suffering has served to soften his heart. He now understands the afflictions of those he's writing to because he's been through so much. Last week, we said we're going to be going through this book uh, part on Sunday mornings and part uh, by email midweek 
because we know there are a lot of our congregation that uh, they join us from home and they join us online each week. And so if you're not part of that email list, you can just go to our homepage. We'll be revamping the website sometime here in the near future, but there's a link on there that you can give us your email address. We will not spam you um, yet, but uh, no, we won't spam you. But we want you to get those because even this last week, we talked about this idea. The effect of suffering on Paul was not to harden him as it does so many of us. The effect of suffering on Paul was to begin to soften him. And in every single letter that Paul wrote to the church, you know how he began in the first few verses? Grace and peace to you from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. You look at that and you go, that is not the picture of a man that was dragging Christians into prison and having them stoned to death. That's what the suffering does. And when you've walked in the trial and you've gotten past the trial, and you have processed it through the lens of what Jesus did for you at the cross, you know what happens? There's a softening. Your heart's over here. I keep pointing here. My heart's here, okay? So there's a softening of the heart that takes place. And things begin to transform. He goes on. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, It is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. In other words, Paul knows they're watching him. Don't we all kind of handle things the way we saw it done growing up? Or maybe if it was painful, the exact opposite of how we saw things growing up. Verse 7, he says, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And what this really gets at is what you and I think is effective when it comes to ministering, whether whoever it is around us. Because oftentimes, don't we think through what would people want? And, and I don't know about you, but I picture adrenaline and caffeine and, and free everything and fireworks display and that mountaintop experience we talked about. And, and for Paul, he thought that's what God wanted too. When he was persecuting Christians and chasing them down, dragging them into prison, putting them to death, He thought he was doing something that was making God pleased with him. But what this is really getting at is what's actually, what's actually effective. That the greatest ministry that that you and I could bring is comfort. It's the comfort from having spent some time at the foot of the cross. I'm reminded of years ago, did anybody watch Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Okay, I searched high and low for this clip because it it says it so much better than I'm going to. I couldn't find it. But there's one episode where this guy, if you don't know, Will Smith is the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, moved from, don't start singing the song, okay, moved from Philadelphia to Bel-Air. He's living in this mansion, and there's, there's a girl there named Ashley, okay? I believe this is his cousin. And so... Ashley, uh, there's a boy who's interested in Ashley, and he comes to hang out with the family one day. And one of the people in the house, uh, well-meaning, says to the boy, hey, you want to impress a girl? You want to know how you can impress Ashley? Just blow in her ear. Just blow in her ear. And some of you know the scene I'm talking about right now. And so later, Ashley's sitting next to this boy, and the boy turns to her and he says, hey, could I just, could I blow in your ear? And she goes, sure. Pulls her hair back and he turns to her and he gets this close to her ear and he goes, (laughs) and as I think about that scene, I think this is what we do. 
This is what we do in ministering to other people. You know, we've come through our own trials, and, and, and in some way we think we're such experts that we just go so boldly at people that we forget that it's a hurting heart. And that, that the approach of just that kind of blowing in the ear is so startling. And yet Paul gets it. Paul realizes that God has had to make his heart tender. And he's had to make him vulnerable. And he's had to show him his weakness in order for God to work through him. See, this should form our approach to those that we walk next to. A lot of times we, and I'm, I'm so guilty of this, it's easy to walk up to somebody and be like, well, you just got to do this, 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 and this, and you'd be fine. Or just stay out of the wrong trouble and you'd be fine. That's not what they need. It's absolutely not what they need. And Paul gets that. He goes on. And he points us to what is maybe the most effective starting point for all of us. He says this in, in the second part of verse 10. On him, on Jesus, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Now, why would Paul say that? Because Paul knows that Paul got through what he got through because of God, but there were people praying for him. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. See, isn't it interesting that when I struggle, I doubt and I despair. But if I look over and I see you struggling, I pray. Isn't that interesting? I know we say that to one another a lot, but I believe it comes from a well-intended place. And we live in a culture that says action, 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 action. And I would affirm that. But isn't it true you can take all the wrong kinds of action? Paul says, no, 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 it starts. It starts with prayer because if God's the one who's going to deliver, then he's the one who's going to deliver us the wisdom for what we ought to do next. And you want to know how you find that out? In prayer. This is why I've I've, I've developed a life rule. (laughs) I know it's tempting when you see somebody hurting to talk boldly to them and softly to God. Reverse that. Talk softly to them and boldly to God on their behalf. Do it. It'll deepen, I guarantee, we talk about wanting to pray more, that will deepen your prayer life, absolutely. Now, regardless of what group you're in, in the trial, past the trial, beside the trial, there's something really interesting. That it, the, the one common denominator all, of all of it that Paul points at is God. Because in all of it, and past all of it, and beside all of it, God is up to something. And it's really our, our takeaway today is that God, God builds effective faith, but he begins in afflictions. The starting point of effective faith is usually an afflicted life because all you have to do is listen to somebody that for some reason you, you put weight on what they say to you. And when you listen to their story, you realize where that came from, that God was doing something in the affliction. That when somebody's faith somehow points you to light, it's because it was whispered to in the darkness first in the despair, and they have processed it. They've looked back at it, and they've come through it, and they recognize as they look back at the film of their life that it wasn't their strength, it wasn't their ability, it wasn't any of that getting them through, that God's hand was in every single one of it now, or every single bit of it. Let me tell you what this doesn't mean, okay? What this doesn't mean is that you've got to go out and have this crazy, crazy story that tops everybody else's. I mean, I remember we had a testimony night when I was in youth group when I was younger. And I just remember 
this kid got done. I don't even know if it was true, but it was like he'd been to the electric chair four times, survived all of them. He was the worst human ever made. I'm kidding, but that's how it felt. And I remember walking away going, is God even paying attention to me? Because many of you, it's just been this steady plodding through life. And it's been trial after trial after trial after trial. And some of you, it's been the extremes. And God has gone to extreme, extreme lengths to get a hold of you. But the point is, do we look back and do we see his hand in it? Have we experienced his mercy in the trial? Have we, have we looked back and processed him as deliverer who can be depended on when we're past the trial? Because that will equip you for walking beside the trial. And that's where Paul begins his letter. And there is so much more to come. And so with that in mind, I want to close with one thing as the worship team makes their way back up. Years ago, we had a young lady that was, we were in the youth group with, and then she was uh, one of the leaders in the youth group, Shea. And Shea was uh, there. As, as I'm reminded, this coming Tuesday is the anniversary of Columbine. Shea was there in the school the day the Columbine shootings happened in 1999. And I remember Shea just, it was the tornado for, for everybody, our whole community after that. But Shea, from being in the school, she remembered the sounds and the sights and the smells and everything. In a few years, I believe it was a couple years later, so many of you will remember the shootings at Virginia Tech. It was really the beginning of what could have, and it was already quite a few people. But the intent was for this to be a much broader mass shooting there. And I remember Shea, with this incredible conviction, she got on a plane and she flew out to Virginia Tech. There was no plan. There was nobody there that there was a plan to connect with or anything like that. And it was amazing to listen to Shea when she got back because I, I said, what'd you, a group of us asked, what'd you do? And she said, well, they had the field open for people just to talk to one another and anybody that was there. But she said, I just walked down onto the field and I found one person sobbing. And I sat with them and said, can we talk? And they said, I don't, I don't know why I would talk to you about this. And Shea began to share about what that day at Columbine was like. And soon one person that God began to minister through her to became a few people. And in the ensuing days, it was more and more and more people. And as I listen to her story and I think about her story, I think that's what it is. That's what it is. God starts in the affliction to bring about the effectiveness of what he's doing through us. And effective faith always begins with the afflictions of life. Do we see him in that? And so with that in mind, let me close in prayer and thank you for being here. We'll continue this week by email and next Sunday. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we are reminded that you are a God who is so merciful. And that as we look around, we would honestly, every single one of us would not prefer to start where Paul started here. We would love to start with, with the up moments and with happy and with celebratory. And yet there is a much deeper staying power in us as we look at what you've done at the cross. Because what that did is it created celebration in our hearts so that we could step into any darkness and be used by you. I pray that for every single person in here, whether it's in the trial, past the trial, or beside the trial, or a mix of all that, that we'd be reminded of your mercy, that we would be reminded you're a deliverer, and that we'd be reminded 
that what you've done in us, you want to do through us. And so we also lift up, as we mentioned moments ago, uh, this community. As we come upon the anniversary of Columbine and the shootings there in 1999, Lord, remind us that you don't want to define this community. You don't want to define us by that. You want to refine us. And so, Lord, let us walk forward refined, having learned the, the lessons of being in trial, past trial, and walking beside it. We thank you for your mercy, and, and we, uh, I pray that every single person walking forward, that we would begin with the very word Paul began, the passage this morning, praise. Lord, we praise you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.